You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Richard's style is very unique, where he shares the message of the gospel unlike anyone else. It's real, refreshing, focused, and fun. Whether you find yourself in a good place, maybe in a difficult place, or possibly even in a very lonely place, let me encourage you that you've come to the right place. Now, if you're not able to stick around with us for all of today's talk, you can always listen to, download, and even share this entire message with a friend right from our website, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Clean and Sober. And something that I've been observing through the years is being a pastor in the world we live in today, you know, people say, well, this is going to be some, you know, some sermon about drinking and drugs and you shouldn't do all that. You know what? There are a lot of people who get past all that. A lot of people in recovery, they'll say, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, I'm an addict, but I've been clean. I've been sober for a long time. One of the challenges, though, with getting clean and sober is if you don't have a life after that, you're in trouble. Because part of the reason that we get drunk and we get high and we do what we do in the first place is something's not working. We're looking, we're searching. So in all of you are saying to people, oh, you shouldn't do this and that, and I've shared probably repeatedly what I tell my girls, if someone tells you that drugs and sex and alcohol and all these things are not fun and they don't work, they are lying to you. If alcohol didn't work, nobody would be drinking. Do you know what? It must work. There's too many people doing it. You say, well, they shouldn't waste their lives that way. What have you offered them in place of that? What have you got that they go, oh, no, no, I wouldn't take any of that because what you've got looks like the answer. Most of what we end up having is religious people, if that's what we end up being, is just a bunch of wagging fingers telling people they're going to hell. You know what? They're already there sometimes in their mind. It can't get any worse. So it's just numb the brain pain, try to make it go away. But every once in a while, thank God, there are people, there are success stories in terms of getting clean and sober. And kind of where I'd like to go today with you is this. It's a horrible thing to get sober without ever really getting clean. Because part of what happens to you if you've lived a life of drugs, alcohol, addiction, some type of chemical dependency where you've done some stupid things, some things, you know, you don't need a designated driver. You need a designated observer to tell you what you did. Almost someone to ask, did we have fun last night? Okay, yeah, I just want to make sure because I don't remember. Guys I've talked to through the years who just black out, don't even remember huge chunks of time of their life, just gone. And, you know, one guy said he'd get on his bicycle and take off riding or people that drive and just terrible things that happen. And see, as a society, we go, oh, don't tell people don't drink. You know, I'm not hurting anybody. And yet there's a point that you reach when it all of a sudden does start hurting people, starts hurting you, your family, your livelihood, and it's not so fun anymore. And when we get under pressure and we can't take it anymore, most people have some kind of valve, something you default to. Some people smoking a little weed. Some people's doing a line here and there. Some people gets into heavier stuff. You know, where people stash alcohol in houses is just crazy. Where you can hide liquor in a house is astonishing. Just to get a little hit, a little something, something. Some people go look at porn. Everybody's got something. Go shopping, whatever your thing is. And you say, I'm trying to get rid of this thing in my life. You have to have something beyond sobriety to make life worth living. Because going to meetings and talking about some higher power that you don't know and don't think knows you is going to get old pretty quick. All right, let's start reading John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. 
In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. And here was what the story was on this pool. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, said to him, do you want to be made well? Now, let me tell you why I think this is such a profound question. I don't think everybody wants to get well. Because some people, whether it's drinking or drugs or whatever your particular thing is, if you get well, you're going to have to get a life to go with that well. You're going to have to figure out what you're going to do. Because now you're just a bum. Now you're just a drunk. Now you're just a drug addict. And that's kind of become your identity maybe. So this guy, I'm a sick guy. I lay here and I'm slow and the angel stirs the water. That all sounds jacked up to me in the first place, but that's what was happening. This angel kind of seems like torturing these people and only the well enough to jump in the water can get well. And this guy's just laying there. And Jesus comes along. What a stupid question. Would you like to be made well? What do you think? Well, look at all of us. This is horrible. And he asked him the question, you know what? You've got to decide whether you want to be well in the first place. You may not be able to handle sober. You may not be able to handle clean. You may not be able to handle holy, righteous, getting on with your life. Because that's been your crutch, your excuse. Hey, it's just me. Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, you know, kind of a polite beginning. Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. I'm trying. I'm trying to get in the water. This is my only shot. Jesus said to him, forget the water. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. All right, let's do it right now. Get up, take up your bed, and let's go. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked Now, I don't know if you really understand this, and I understand there's consequence to life. You say, well, easy for you to say, you think if I just get Jesus, if I find Jesus, all my problems are going to go away. It ain't a bad place to start. He can heal you immediately. It may take a while for you to negotiate the circumstances of the problems you've created with this life, but he is capable still of healing you immediately of about anything. Now, I'll be the first to tell you I don't get it. We pray, pray, pray. Somebody has a prayer request, pray for so-and-so that's sick. And then somebody comes up with some miraculous, oh, they got healed. The doctors can't explain it. I go, okay, great. That's a great story. What about all these people that get prayed for and they die and stay sick forever? Well, what's up with that? Same God we're talking to, right? What's he doing up there? I'm asking for healing. Step up and do this. Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews said to him, now look at this. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. You want to know how to spot a religious person? They are more focused on their religious technicalities than praising God for your life being changed. Well, yes, maybe you were healed, but you were healed on the wrong day. You shouldn't be carrying your bed around. This is not lawful. Forget all that stuff. Rejoice with the guy. He's been sick for 30-some years. Enough already. So the Jews go off here. He answered and said to them, He who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Somebody healed me. I did what he said to do. I'm well. I'm walking. I'm carrying my bed. 
Then they said to him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. And then one of the strangest things you'll read in the Bible. Now, I want everybody paying really close attention so there's no misunderstanding. This is what he tells the guy. You've been made well. Sin no more. Why? Lest a worse thing come upon you. Now, this is going to sound really harsh to some people. There is some stuff that just happens to you. A lot of the crap we get into did not happen to us. We brought it on ourselves. And sooner or later, the stuff that is yours, you are going to have to own. You cannot spend the rest of your life going, well, my daddy, my mama, my brother, my cousin, my whatever. You know what? You may have all kind of stuff that happened to you, but somewhere along the way, if you made a decision, I'm going to drink to fix it, I'm going to drug to fix it, I'm going to do whatever, you made that decision. You say, well, that's all there was. I'm down with you on that too, if that's all you found. But I'm telling you, I got something better. I quit blaming people for drinking. I never have, never been drunk, you know, that whole thing. You say, well, what do you know about it? I just don't have that option for some reason. I got other troubles. But I've been in enough pain where I thought, you know, sure would be nice to have something to make this pain go away. And it goes away for a little bit. It's just you compound the pain because of what happens to you getting out of pain creates more pain that you got to drink to get rid of. So you say, well, Richard, will you tell us all to get clean and sober? Absolutely. But I'm telling you, you better have you some Jesus on the other side or you're going to have some real trouble because reality is really hard. And facing life without some way to medicate the pain is really difficult, and you're going to need him. See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Nothing to do with healing the man. They were just upset that he had done it on the wrong day crazy religious people. John chapter 8, a few pages over. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Does everybody understand what that means? I know we got kids in the room. We didn't just follow her to some guy's house. We didn't watch her at dinner. We peeked through the window, and we are positive that she committed adultery because we caught her in the very act. A little voyeur Judaism here. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? We got the book here, brother. We caught her. Let's stone her. This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her. All right, let's stone her. Whichever one of you without sin, pick a rock up and let's do it. Now, let's do it. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. So the guy with seniority in the pack who had come with this accusation, it hits him first. And he leaves, and then in pecking order, it looks like they leave. They realize, okay, he got us. 
And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Now, these people had legal grounds by their law to stone this woman caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus said some things and they had to walk away. At some point, you're going to have to realize in your interaction with Jesus and listening to what all the religious people in the world say, at some point, you have no one to condemn you. Part of the reason for that is no one can condemn you, but you anyway. God's the one who justifies. He's not out to condemn you. It's a very difficult thing. You think, well, it shouldn't be this hard. People think that God is out to get you. How can you think that God is out to get you when he's the one that sent his only begotten son to come after you? You can't come up with that. You say, well, the Bible talks about wrath and judgment and all these things. You know what? That's for all the people who reject this amazing grace, this free gift, this mercy, this God being patient with us for so long and coming after us. If you push all that away indefinitely, then the hammer will drop because you've said no to him and his answer. Woman, where are those accusers of yours? No one has condemned you. She said, no one, Lord, no one. And Jesus says simple things along the way, but so profound. And he says, neither do I condemn you. And here's what he says, go and sin no more. Now, there's a strange thing even among Christians that I kind of describe as a sin quota. I think everybody kind of makes an allowance and says, well, you know what? I'm only human, which is not true. If you're a Christian, you are not only human. You are a child of the living God. God himself and the person of the Holy Spirit living in you, you cannot use that anymore, I am only human. You have access to the God of the universe to say yes, no, whatever you're supposed to do and let God intervene and take over and help you. The book says in James, no one can be tempted by God. He can't be tempted, doesn't tempt him with sin. We are each, what, drawn away of our own lusts and ties. You know why I sin? Because I want to. I make a premeditated, most of the time, choice to do whatever I want to do and just say, I'm using up some of my sin quota and abuse the mercy and grace of God. And you can live that way, but you know what? It's no way to live. It's not why he died for us to just kind of live this sucky life, like just barely hanging on with our ticket to heaven. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 with me. I'm trying to keep this left to right, but we're going to jump back in a minute to Psalms. So if you want to get ahead of the game, you can put a hand in Psalms, but I won't tell you where. 1 Corinthians 16, let's start at verse 13. This is Paul writing to one of those screwed up places on the planet in all of history. He says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have, and if you have the King James Version by any chance, it uses this word. My new King James says this, that they have devoted the ministry of the saints, but the King James says they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. You want to get addicted to something? Get addicted to ministry. Say, God, I can't stop. I can't help myself. I got it. See, the problem is you give up one addiction and then you just go find you another addiction that is less destructive, but it is an addiction. Get a spiritual addiction. You say, well, I just feel like my life's going nowhere. Then go somewhere. Say, God, why did you leave me here? What did you save me for? What are my gifts? What are my abilities? Use me, God. You say, well, I'm going to be tired. You're going to be tired anyway. You're going to be tired of you. God, use me. I don't want to waste my life. And the whole thing is, if you hold on to your life, you lose it. If you lose your life for his sake, what? That's when you find it. 
You've given your life to so much other junk, why not try Jesus? They have devoted themselves to the work of the ministry, to the saints, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. And just to make sure I throw one of these in here, go to Ephesians chapter 5. And for people that say, okay, so what is this about? You know, is this about drugs and alcohol? I can't find drugs in the Bible anyway, so whatever. Alcohol, okay, you probably give me some verses. You know what? I'm not going to tell you you can't have a glass of wine for dinner. You can't back that up in Scripture. And I'll read it here. Ephesians 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, understand what the will of the Lord is. And then right after that, he says what? And do not be drunk with wine. Let me tell you something. If you can have one beer, and this horrifies some people, why are you going to talk about beer and all these alcohol things? You know why? Because it's real. To act like you people aren't having a beer or whatever, doing whatever, you know, it's real. Stop getting drunk. You're making a fool of you and of God. You say, well, I think it's fine for me to have a beer. The problem is you can't have just one beer. You're not doing so good. So at some point you say, you know what? I can't do one and stop. I may need to quit this altogether. But what will happen to me? You're going to be okay. You'll use the restroom less. (laughs) We're so freaked out that we don't know who we'd be without all these things. I had a buddy one time who his deal, he literally, still know this guy, he literally had a hand thing. He'd go to a party or a social thing. He always had a beer bottle in one hand and a cigarette in the other one. If you took one away, he'd be lost. His hand would just go. (laughs) The way he negotiated that deal was he was sipping on that beer and smoking that cigarette. And then he laid them both down. He had to find something to do with his hands because that was part of him being safe in that environment. You're going to be okay. It may take an adjustment. You say, well, people think I'm all whatever. You know what? Quit worrying so much about what everybody else thinks. Ask God what he thinks for a second. Ask him if this is glorifying to him for a second. And then just do what he tells you to do. You know, you've heard me say this for years. If you can open your fridge and pull out a beer and say, for all you do, this bud's for you, God, then knock yourself out. Whether you eat, you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If it's not glorifying to God, it's not working. It's never going to work. And then Paul comes along and says, you know, all things are lawful. But then he comes right behind that and says, but not all things are expedient. How many fathers do I talk to drinking, doing whatever they're doing? All of a sudden they look up and their kid's staring at them. And they make a decision. They say, I don't want my kid growing up in this house. I don't want to authorize them. There's too much problems. So they lay it down. Do they think it's sinful maybe for them to do it? Maybe not, but they put it down for the sake of their children. Let's read it. Ephesians 5, 17. Therefore, not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, let me tell you something. You get drunk, you get high, you are nuts, and you do crazy stuff. You get drunk on Jesus, you're going to look pretty nuts too. And that's part of our inhibition. Because we are afraid that we will lose control. What happened in Acts? The Spirit shows up. You know what they got accused of in the morning? They're just drunk. That's what it looked like. So we're all in control except selectively when we don't want to be in control for medical reasons. And we'll go to a party. We'll go to someone's house and make a fool of ourselves because we just need a break. You know what? Give God a break and you a break. Just get drunk your whole life on somebody else. And live with that kind of abandon. 
let me show you what comes out of this different kind of drunk, being filled with the Spirit. He goes right on. He says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. That's what happens when you get drunk on him. You say, well, I would look foolish. You're looking pretty foolish right now already. Now, let me read you a story about a guy who had screwed up pretty royally and needed to get clean. And I don't know that I have time to read the whole thing, but I'll hit a few verses here. Psalm 51, the heading in my Bible that's been placed here by the editors is a prayer of repentance. And this is what he says. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Go read the rest of it at home. You know what? At some point, getting sober is not enough. There is still a need to get clean in the truest sense of the word. And nobody can wash you whiter than snow but Jesus himself. And people say, why do churches in the Bible talk about the blood of Jesus? It seems so cannibalistic or something, you know. Why are you talking about blood so much? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. You cannot deal with sin. There's life in the blood. So oddly enough, it is his blood that will make you clean. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, you just keep trying it your way then. Knock yourself out. Just be sober. And see how that works out for you. I'm not saying sober is not good. I'm just telling you, there's way more to life if you've been on drugs, alcohol, addicted to something than just getting sober. It is possible to be clean. Truly, truly clean. And when I sit down with men and women either way, and unfortunately sometimes it's women who get themselves in some bad, bad places, and that need for drugs, need for alcohol, self-esteem, anything in regard to their bodies or whatever, goes out the window, do anything, go anywhere, just don't care anymore. You can have me. And then they wake up one day and go, I've destroyed my life. I need to get sober. I need to get off this stuff. And then the reality of the choices they've made and the consequences of their life just come crashing down on them. You better have an answer for that. And he does. Richard will be back in a moment to wrap up today's talk. But first, I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Let's be honest. Real life isn't about living some highlight reel for others to see. Most people have deep hurts, questions, and struggles. Well, we get it, and we want to help you in any way we can. So let's keep this conversation going. You can give us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. You can even put in your prayer request right there on the prayer wall. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD or online at richardellistalks.com. And now let's get back to Richard with a final word on today's show. I'm going to read you. You don't have to turn to it. 1 John 1, 
Verse 7 through 9 says this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love being forgiven, but there is something about being made clean that's pretty sweet. I'm not against rehabs and meetings and all that stuff. They can help you get sober, but only Jesus can get you clean. And if you want to talk about that or you know, you've observed that in somebody and say, look, you got to help me because I'm having a hard time staying sober and staying clean. And I got a feeling it's because I'm still dealing with the stuff I was drinking and doing drugs to cover in the first place. Is there an answer for that? Because if you don't have an answer, I'm afraid I'm going back to all I got. Do not wag your finger at people who drink and drug. It may be all they've got. Love them, pray for them, talk to them, be willing to share with them and say, look, I'm not judging you. And I can't condemn you, but man, I got to tell you, something happened to me. This is my story. This is my song. And I'd be happy to share that with you anytime and help them extend a hand, help them get healed in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening today to Richard Ellis Talks. We're confident that the program blessed you and we want to hear about it. One way is to give us a call and let us know. The number is 855-6-RICHARD. Another way is to drop us an email. Jump on over to our website, richardellistalks.com, and click on the Connect tab at the top. We'd love to hear from you. And while you're there at the website, there's a ton of great stuff there just for you. Things like all of the talk from Richard, a prayer wall where you can leave your prayer request, and a whole lot more. Check it out, richardellistalks.com. Finally, we love doing this program for you, but we're so grateful when you hop on board to help us with the cost. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD, or you can contribute through the website. It's easy and much appreciated. 855-6-RICHARD or richardellistalks.com. Until next time, God bless you, and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. Richard Ellis Talks.